Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, how many of you remember the name William Jefferson? Maybe a lot of you. It's a pretty common name. But the William Jefferson I have in mind this evening was a congressman from the state of Louisiana. From 2002, he used the resources of an organization designed to encourage people to vote to ensure that his daughter would win an election to the Louisiana State House of Representatives. He repeated this pattern from 98 to 2002 and in 2006. There, Jefferson used this same organization to make sure that his sister would win elections as a city official for the city of New Orleans. A few days after Hurricane Katrina hit Louisiana, Jefferson used a National Guard detachment to recover personal belongings from his home uh, before they could be destroyed or looted. When the truck they were in got stuck in the mud, Jefferson then called in a National Guard helicopter to help liberate his belongings. All of this, of course, while the rescue operations were still going on in other parts of the state trying to assist people in desperate need of help. In March of 2005, a company named Igate sent William Jefferson $400,000 to ensure that he would help its business by persuading the army to purchase Igate technology. The final straw, if you can believe it, came in 2005 when the FBI, after putting the pieces together, conducted a raid on Jefferson's home and found over $90,000 of taxpayer money safely tucked away in his garage freezer. With all of this evidence leveled against him, I have but one question for you. Was William Jefferson innocent? No, of course not. The evidence points out clearly that Jefferson was guilty, beyond guilty, in fact. And so in 2007, Jefferson was sentenced to 13 years in a federal prison, the longest sentence ever given to a sitting congressman for bribery. Level this with a couple of other charges he had against him, and it looks like William Jefferson won't be going free until August 30th, 2023. Now, today, in our Witnesses to Christ series, we meet another criminal named Barabbas, who, like Jefferson, had quite a bit of evidence levied against him. There's a trial going on in our gospel reading for today, and as in any trial, there are three key words to look for. Who is innocent? Who is guilty? And who goes free? Innocent, guilty, and free. Let's examine these parts of the story a little closer. First, we start with the innocent. That person, as you well know, is none other than Jesus. For Pontius Pilate, a man somewhat renowned for his bloodthirstiness, said of this Jesus, I find no guilt in him. This was an unusual claim for Pilate. Pilate didn't think that Jesus deserved the cross. A lecture, certainly, a lashing, maybe, but not the cross. Two times, in fact, in John 18, 28, the gospel writer calls Pontius Pilate the governor. As Judea's governor, Pilate would sit in the judgment seat, because he had what was called imperium, supreme power, and absolute dominion to execute 
justice, a task that he took rather to heart. In Judea, it was Pilate who would decide formal death penalty cases. For the Jewish people, this meant that you could live or die by Pilate's whims. And Pilate declares that Jesus is innocent. He does so again in John 19, verses 4 and 6. The rest of the New Testament takes this one step further, in fact, much further. The scriptures attest that Jesus is absolutely and perfectly innocent, a claim which none of us could ever make. Hebrews 14, verse 5 attests that Jesus was without sin. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 says that Jesus knew no sin. When it came to sin, there was only one man in all of human history who could call himself perfectly innocent, and that is Jesus. This brings us to the next of our three key words, guilty. Who was the guilty party in all of this? Well, that was Barabbas. Barabbas was as guilty as the example that we heard of William Jefferson, and indeed more so. Pontius Pilate posed the question to the people, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Assuming this to be an obvious answer when leveled against a criminal like Barabbas, but their answer shocked him. No, not this man. Release to us Barabbas. John 18 verse 40 concludes this passage with the words, Now Barabbas was a robber. That's a pretty common crime. We all know what a robber is. But in the Greek, there's an added wrinkle. For the word used to describe Barabbas is not in the English robber, but lestes. A lestes is more akin to a marauder. A violent outlaw who finances his misdeeds through what he plunders and steals. How do we know that Barabbas was this kind of robber? Well, lestes, as it turns out, is the same word which Jesus used in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke 10, verse 30, where he said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and while on the road he fell among robbers, lestes, that is the plural, who stripped him and beat him and then departed, leaving him for dead. Put John 18.40 and the parable from Luke chapter 10 together, and what do we learn? Well, we learn that a less test wasn't just any old robber or highwayman. It was the worst kind of highwayman. A less test was the kind that wouldn't just rob you, but would rob you and kill you to get rid of all the evidence. Mark 15 actually adds another wrinkle to this, saying that among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in an insurrection, there was among them one called Barabbas. Mark identifies Barabbas distinctly among a group of anti-Roman insurrectionists, rioters who belonged to a political group of the day known as the Zealots. The Zealots, for those of you unfamiliar with this part of Roman history, had but one agenda, and that was to kick Caesar and his army out of Judea. And the Zealots, as their name implied, were quite zealous in this task. They were more than ready to slit a few throats in order to accomplish their goals. 
So, this evening, as you examine the case that Pilate presents before the people of Israel, the king of the Jews, Jesus of Nazareth, or the Lestes, the zealot, the insurrectionist, the murderer, Barabbas, don't think for a second that it's any kind of cut-and-dry case, that Barabbas was a petty thief or a second-hand scoundrel. Rome wouldn't waste its time crucifying a small-time crook. But Alestes, that is a man whom they were interested in. That is one whom they would lynch, whom they would crucify. Barabbas had already been judged guilty. He was already condemned to die. He would be crucified by noon and dead by sundown. His only future was a cross, nails, and a slow and awful death. Innocent. That's Jesus. Guilty. That's Barabbas for sure. And by the way, Barabbas isn't the only guilty one. That's us too. We are all, according to St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, born dead in our trespasses, blinded by the false gods of this world, hopeless before the judgment seat of Almighty God. In fact, the prophet Isaiah notes that all of our finest deeds, the very best of what we can muster, are but filthy rags before the Lord our God. Dear friends, we might as well be called Barabbas. Paul says as much in Romans 7, verse 24, where examining his own sinfulness in light of the righteousness of Christ, he laments, wretched man that I am. Not, note, wretched man that I was, but wretched man that I am. Present tense, right now, today. Even as a believer, truth be told, I am still a wretch. My crime? Well, the Bible calls it sin. For sin is not some regrettable lapse in judgment or an occasional stumble. Sin stages a rebellion against the rule of Almighty God. Sin storms the gates of heaven and lays claim to God's throne. Sin tries to defy God's authority, saying to Him, Get out and get lost, for I'm the one in charge here. The prophet Isaiah says that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And what way is this? Well, it's different for each one of us. You have your way and I have mine. Your way may be fruitless accumulation. My way may be intoxication. Still another's way may be flirtation, but all of us have our own way, just like foolish, wandering sheep, and those ways all lead to the same place. In fact, just as soon as we commit sin, we want to bury it. We want to cover it up. We don't like to confess our sin, but the truth of the matter is that I'm Barabbas. I'm a prisoner of my past, guilty as anyone any criminal has ever been. My low road choices and my high-minded pride declare me guilty before the judgment seat of my God. And what's his sentence? 
Where do my sinful roads lead me? Well, Romans 6 verse 23 tells us, the wages of sin is what? Death. Innocent. That's Jesus. Guilty. That's Barabbas. And that's us. What about that third word? Free. Who is that? Shockingly enough, that's Barabbas. Just imagine for a minute. You're on death's row. You've been rightly condemned for the crimes that you've committed. When what's that you hear but a guard sauntering towards your prison cell, the keys on his belt jingling as he prepares to open your prison door, swing the gate wide open and pronounce unto you, Barabbas, you're free. They chose you to go free. Someone else is going to take the heat. And Barabbas stumbles into the light of day, shackles gone, crimes pardoned, a free man. Free. That's Barabbas. That's us too, by the way. And how so? Well, Christ endured not just the Roman nails, the mockery, and the spear, but he endured the very gears of God's grinding justice. For God, in his infinite wisdom and righteousness, does not overlook sin. God doesn't examine you under the light of his law and say, oh, a few slip-ups here and there, no big deal. That's not how it works. For God's law, in all of its holiness, demands perfection. For God is holy and righteous. He is sovereign and perfect. God cannot overlook sin. Indeed, he must not overlook sin. God, in his perfect righteousness and justice, must punish sin. Otherwise, he would not be a good and upright judge. That leaves God in a dilemma. He must pronounce judgment on sin. That's us, sinners. And yet, he loves us, sinners. He loves his he loves his foolish children, his straying and wandering sheep. And so, God, not willing to part from us, nor let us suffer the consequences of our sin, placed all of our wrongdoing on his only begotten son, Jesus. It's accurate to say, therefore, that Christ substituted himself for the world. But it's life-changing to say that Christ substituted himself for me, for all of my wrongdoing, for the sins I have committed, for the injustices that I have visited upon my neighbor. It is Christ and not myself who took the heat. My sins, they are many, but God's mercy is more, and therefore, like Barabbas, I am a free man. Psalm 146, verse 7 says that the Lord sets the prisoners free. Romans 8, verse 2 says the law of the spirit of life has set you free. Galatians 5, 1 says for freedom Christ Jesus has set us free. Revelation 1, verse 5 says that Jesus has freed us from our sins by the shedding of his blood. Friends, there are a million different ways 
each and every day that you can become a prisoner, that you can shackle yourself to the wages of sin that is death. Think of all of the different ways that you have been a prisoner, that you have been enslaved to your pride, your selfish whims, your rebellion against your almighty God. But for all of those things, there is only one way that you could ever be free. And that is Christ crucified for the forgiveness of your sins. Our Savior's liberating power sets us free from the condemnation of our sin, free from the pain of our past, and free from the worry of our future. No one can take this freedom from us. No law of man can stop it, and no power of earth or hell could ever destroy it. Innocent, guilty, and free. These are the three most important words of any trial. But out of all three of them, which would you say is the most life-changing of them? Well, that's an easy answer. It's free. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. And dear brothers and sisters, we don't know what happened to Barabbas after our gospel reading for today. We know only that the sentence which he rightly earned that Good Friday was taken off of him and put squarely on Jesus, who paid not just Barabbas' earthly penalty, taking the heat, the cross, the nails, but who also paid all of the debt of Barabbas' sin, and not just Barabbas. Your sin, my sin. The sin of the whole world was levied on Christ as he hung on the cross. And as he suffered and died for those sins, a great exchange took place, and we became innocent in his stead. We were declared free. Free from condemnation under the law, free from sin, and free from its wages, death, eternal separation from our God. That is the gift given us in Christ Jesus our Lord, that he should be called guilty, condemned, crucified, so that you and I might be free. By faith in Christ crucified for you, you are forever free. In his most righteous name, amen. May the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in this same Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.